This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Episode 7, The Caboose Are you sure this is safe, Goro? Lydia asked into her headset. She and the other cadets were floating in their spacesuits just outside the space train, their suits tethered to the train by a rope. In their hands were long nets, the kind usually reserved for butterfly catching. Within arm's reach of them were Saturn's rings. Up close, they were nothing more than various-sized rocks and fine dust. Beyond the rings floated the massive, swirling sphere of the planet Saturn. 
Ignoring the magnificent view, Lydia cautiously reached out and caught a couple rocks from the rings with her net. Did you lock us down tight, Goro? Goro? <clears throat> yes, yes, I'm here. He chimed in through their headsets. Little did they know he'd secretly snoozed off into sleep mode in the cockpit. I can assure you, my dear, there is nothing to worry about. His words were hardly encouraging. Doug held on to the rope, tying him to the train like a cowboy grips the reins at a rodeo. Only in this scenario, if things didn't go according to plan, instead of getting bucked off a bull, he'd float off into space. Doug gave the rope a few hard tugs to make sure it wouldn't break loose. This was their first real spacewalk, and floating around in silent darkness was completely different from a game of hovering basketball. For one thing, it was far more disorienting. He had to remind himself which way was up and which way was down. To make it worse, he kept thinking about how quickly and carelessly Goro seemed to have tied them down, like the teenagers that strapped you into the roller coaster at Six Flags, like they'd done it a bazillion times and couldn't care less whether or not your belt came undone and you were launched into another dimension. Doug watched Lydia pull herself back to the side of the train with the rocks in her net like it was nothing. If she was nervous, she hid it well. He admired how calm and calculated she was when she did things. He wished he could be so brave. Secretly, he was terrified, but he couldn't let her see that. In the meantime, Goro was trying to naturally segue into a teaching moment to make it sound like he'd been awake all along. The samples you are taking from Saturn's rings are made up of dust, rock, and ice. Some of the particles are as small as a grain of sand, others the size of skyscrapers. They're pieces of passing comets and debris from meteorite impacts on Saturn's moons. They've been sucked in by the planet's gravitational pull. Saturn itself is a gas giant, consisting primarily of hydrogen. It has 62 moons and... Doug looked up to see Dallas jumping off the side of the train into Saturn's rings. With no concern whatsoever for how he looked or for his own safety, the space cowboy swiped his net into the rocks and caught several on his first try. Doug looked over at Leo, who was quietly making his stick longer and his net wider, so he could sit back and fish the ring samples from the train. Doug wished he'd thought of that. He'd try building something himself, but it was too late. Lydia had already seen how confident Dallas was when he jumped out. Now she'd think he was a sissy if he couldn't do it. So, after letting out a long breath, he jumped. When he reached the rings, a spray of dust hit him like he'd walked into a sandstorm. Careful, Doug. Don't go too far, Lydia warned. I got it, he replied. Trying to look cool and confident, but failing miserably, he flailed his net around in the rings. Every awkward swipe brought a frustrated grunt as he missed his target. <coughs> Dallas pulled himself back next to Lydia. Is he okay? He asked. It's like there are bees in his suit or something. They both looked out at Doug, who spastically flung his net around like a fly caught in a spider web. Finally, out of sheer luck, a rock floated into Doug's net. Aha! He cheered. As he pulled the rock in close to look it over, something far behind it came into focus. It was the caboose, the very last car of the space train, the one they'd been strictly forbidden from entering. From outside, he could see its windows flashing different colors of light. 
The glow was brilliant, mysterious, and faintly hypnotizing. It's like there's a party going on in there, he thought. I bet Lydia would be impressed if I was able to sneak in and take a peek. Maybe I'd be able to wipe her memory of my embarrassing jump with a new brave quest. Lydia's scream interrupted his thoughts. Doug, look out! Doug turned just in time to see a building-sized chunk of dirt and ice come barreling towards him. In about two seconds, he'd become a permanent addition to Saturn's rings. Full of adrenaline, he pulled on his rope, sending him gliding back towards the train. Lydia and Dallas pulled in his rope as fast as they could. The giant rock towered over Doug, casting a shadow over his helmet that housed his petrified face. Just before the rock reached him, a big net dropped down over him. After a hard yank, he was pulled out of the rock's tumbling path. Doug pulled himself out of Leo's net and gave the skinny boy a hug. You saved me! I almost... Man, I owe you one! Leo just shrugged. When they re-entered the space train, the cadets put their Saturn ring samples into a box set out for them by Goro and changed out of their suits. Once everything was put away, Doug told the others all about what he'd seen from the caboose. The others listened intently. All of them had been curious about the secrecy enshrouding the caboose. Hearing about its flashing lights only added to the intrigue. What do you guys say? Want to check it out? Doug asked, doing a little dance with his eyebrows. Lydia looked dumbfounded. Are you being serious? You just about died two minutes ago and now you want to break into the forbidden dungeon? Well, so much for her forgetting about that, Doug thought. It's not a forbidden dungeon, he said. For all we know, it could be a room full of space treasure or, or a portal to another world. Dallas squinted an eye at him. Uh, dude, that's basically what we've been riding around in. Doug threw his hands up. You're not helping. I'm trying to talk her into it. Oh, right. What I meant was, it sounds like there's a really cool slumber party going on in there with, you know, pillow fights, mani petties, and, and girl talk. I'm failing, aren't I? Majorly, Doug replied. Look, if you guys don't want to go, that's fine. You can just hear all about it once they write a book about my adventures in the Forbidden Caboose. He held his hand up as if presenting the book's title, The Boy Who Conquered the Caboose, by J.K. Rowling. Lydia held up her hand to present her own title. How about, Missing Boy, Last Seen Snooping Around Dangerous Train Car. Contact authorities with any information. Doug rolled his eyes. You honestly think Goro would keep something that dangerous on a train with a bunch of kids? Lydia tilted her head. Are we talking about the same robot here? The one who just sent us dangling out there in space with a bunch of giant flying rocks? Good point. Leo walked over and stood next to Doug with folded arms, as if he'd just been picked to be on his basketball team at recess. Doug looked at him surprised. Now we're talking. Dallas shrugged. Okay, I'm in. Blobby still has another hour on his afternoon nap anyway. What? Lydia protested. You too? Lydia, Leo's a super genius, okay? If he thinks we can do it, then we can possibly, maybe, probably not be able to do it. Lydia looked both ways. If I go missing, one of you is taking care of my cats. Not me. I'm allergic, Dallas said. 
The cadets made their way through the endless train cars, many of which Goro had yet to introduce them to. Dark cars full of lasers, a mini water park, a ballroom. That one really caught Lydia's eye, even though she wasn't really one to get all dolled up and dance around in a foofy dress, but it was undeniably pretty and elegant. And finally they reached the long hallway leading up to the door of the caboose. They stood and stared at it. Fog seeped out of the cracks around the door. The colorful lights Doug had told them about were flashing in a gap at the bottom of the door. By the looks of it, they expected to hear disco music or techno or something, but instead they heard deep grumbles, heavy labored breaths, beeps, whirls, and something shuffling around. This is a bad idea, Lydia said, shaking her head. I hate breaking the rules, especially if it's dangerous. Doug agreed with Lydia for the most part, but he still needed to find a way to redeem himself. This was his chance. He looked over the door and considered their options. Okay, let's think, he said. Let's do, Dallas suggested. He started walking down the hall and everyone else felt like they had no choice but to follow. Together they made their way to the door. Doug did his best to mimic Dallas's confident stride, when secretly he would have preferred army crawling or scaling the wall. When they were halfway down the hall, they heard a click. They stopped. It came from above them. Slowly, they looked up to see little metal prongs drop out of the ceiling. Electricity fuzzed down them. Run! Doug shouted. But before they could get away, zap, 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 zap! Little blue bolts shot down at them and sent tingles through their bodies. Don't tase me, bro! Don't tase me! cried Dallas, covering his head with his arms. The group ran back to the other end of the hall, twitching and giggling from the tingles. At first, it didn't strike them as odd that they were giggling. They didn't even realize that was weird until a couple minutes later when Lydia sneezed and they all cracked up like it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. Doug couldn't help himself. The tingles from the taser wouldn't go away. He remembered being tickle-tortured once, being held down and poked incessantly until he was laughing nonstop. That was the only experience that compared. Once they got their giggles under control, they regrouped. Maybe if we stay close to the walls, the tickle tasers can't get us, Doug proposed. <coughs> tickle tasers? Dallas busted up and the others couldn't help themselves. After another minute of cracking up, they got themselves back under control. They wiped tears of laughter from their flushed faces. Keeping it in was nearly impossible. Every exhale sounded funny. It was like trying not to laugh at church. It only got funnier the harder you tried to hold it in. Leo was by far the most composed. Pointing to himself, he signaled to them that he had an idea. The others watched as he slowly crept towards a panel in the wall. He removed the plastic panel, revealing a series of wires and switches. As if opening a box of chocolates, he gleefully twiddled his fingers and went to work. Every few seconds he stopped and looked around like blow darts were about to come shooting out of the walls. Wires were detached and rerouted. Switches were flipped and then reflipped. Buttons were pressed, then held down. If he didn't know what he was doing, he was awfully good at faking it. Doug could tell by the excited look in his face that he'd almost gotten it. Another switch flipped and... A big blob of pink goop plopped over his right hand. Stunned, he pulled the gooped hand out of the control box and stared at it, letting the panic set in. Finally, it hit him. 
In complete silence, Leo had a total freakout, flailing his hand around, shaking his head, and opening his mouth as if silently shouting to himself. He looked like a mime that had gotten his hands stuck in a beehive. The scene was hilarious. Doug and the others couldn't hold it back any longer. Once more, they exploded into laughter. Leo's skinny, flapping arm swung his gooped hand around and accidentally slapped it into the wall. When he went to pull it off, it wouldn't budge. The pink goo cemented it to the wall. Now Leo was really having a silent meltdown. He yanked and yanked and yanked. He propped his legs up and tried to pull with all his weight, but it still wouldn't budge. Dallas was on the floor, dry heaving from laughing so hard. Even Lydia was in tears. None of them could control it. Finally, they realized they had to do something and went over to pry him loose. Each of them grabbed onto a part of Leo's arm and then pulled on three. One, two, three. Leo's arm yanked free and the group fell back from the momentum. Together, they fell right back into the path of the tickle tasers, which gave them another zap. They now laughed so hard that it took almost five minutes to crawl back to the other end of the hall. A plastic wall panel had been yanked free and was now sticking to Leo's gooped hand, making his crawl awkward. Doug slowed his breaths as he felt the tingles fade enough for him to speak. Okay, 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 I got this. <sighs> How about I just build something with a little camera that can sneak under the crack? That way we don't have to sacrifice ourselves to see what's going on behind the door. The others agreed that it was a decent idea, so Doug went to work, scrounging up materials from the nearby cars and assembling them to create the design that was floating around in his head. Lydia later told him that he hadn't really run around looking for materials, that they just floated to him as he held out his hands. But he remembered it differently. His mind was still trying to make sense of his newly discovered gift. As he used it to assemble the device, he still saw his hands twisting and working in a blur. But every once in a while, the image would glitch, and he'd see what was really happening. His hands held apart, commanding the pieces to assemble themselves. After a few minutes, the thing was complete. They all looked it over. It was simple. A metal square no thicker than a cardboard box, and it had wheels and a little camera in the front. Somehow, Doug had even managed to create a remote control for it, with a little screen that displayed whatever the camera saw. Doug flipped a switch and the little flat robot came to life. The cadets marveled at the creation, but suppressed much of their emotion for fear of bursting into another laughing fit. Using a joystick under his thumb, Doug steered the robot down the hall. It made its way easily past the tickle tasers and was almost to the door when it went haywire. First it stopped, then it jerked forward, then backward, then forward, then back again. Pretty soon it was spazzing all over the hall until it somehow drove itself through a few cracks and was sucked out into space. Great, Dallas said. Even your robot is freaked out. Doug looked at Leo. Think you could program my next one to not think for itself? Leo nodded and Doug went back to work, assembling another version of the flat robot. When it was complete, he handed it over to Leo, who with his non-gooped hand made a few tweaks of his own to ensure it followed Doug's every command. He snapped the outer shell back on and gave Doug a thumbs up. Doug had a good feeling about this one, which was rare for anything he built. He steered the robot down the hall past the tickle tasers and up to the door. He stopped it in front of the crack. You guys ready for this? He asked the others. 
They nodded and he held out the remote control so they could get a better look at the display screen and see the camera's recording. Doug pushed the joystick forward, sending the robot slipping under the caboose doorway and vanishing from sight. Now all they had to go on was the display screen. The cadets huddled around Doug to get a better look. In the screen they could see nothing but fog and flashing lights. Doug swiveled the camera side to side, but still couldn't get a clear image. The fog was too thick. The sound, on the other hand, was coming in loud and clear through the remote speaker. Loud beeps, some buzzes, and then deep, heavy breaths. They grew louder as the robot inched forward. Suddenly, all went quiet. Then a loud screech and wham! Something huge pounded into the screen. Wide-eyed and petrified, the cadets watched as the camera's feed went to static. They slowly looked up from the remote to the door. Loud bangs echoed behind it. The sound of Doug's robot being smashed to smithereens. Did I just see what I think I saw? Lydia asked, unable to pull her petrified stare from the door. One way to be sure, Doug said, holding down a button on the remote and making the video feed rewind. He stopped it before the commotion began and pressed play. He paused it just before the camera was smashed. Taking up most of the screen was a giant, meaty tentacle. Doug stuttered. It, it, it's, it's a... a creature, Lydia finished. Dallas tossed his hair and smiled. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's see if it's friendly. I'm going in. No, you're not, Lydia corrected. I want to see what's in there. Help me get buff and I'll yank open the door. If it's nice, cool. If not, I'll punch it in the nose. Dallas, you can't be serious right now, Doug said. That creature just pulverized my robot. So would I if that creepy thing came crawling into my room. Dude, think about it. This is our free willy moment. Maybe it's been trapped in there for a long time and just wants to get back to its family. Or eat us for lunch, Lydia said. Or that, but I prefer to see this as a rescue operation. This creature needs us. Doug sighed. <sighs> what do you need us to do? It's simple, Dallas explained. I'm not the Hulk, so you can't just make me angry so I balloon. I need to be completely calm, in a state of perfect serenity. How do we help you do that? Lydia asked. Simple. For starters, you can grace us with little Enya. No way. Don't pretend you don't know their songs. Just go for it. Lydia hesitated, and then trying to hide her embarrassment started mumbling a peaceful song. Who can say what you Now, Dallas turned to Doug. You make the sounds of the ocean. I want the full effect. Crashing waves, seagulls, the whole bit. Nothing gets me chill like the beach. I've been to the beach like twice, Doug protested. Then use your imagination. Leo, I know you can't talk, so maybe you can just blow on my face like an ocean breeze, you know, for added effect. Doug, Lydia, and Leo did as they were instructed, feeling completely ridiculous in the process. Oh, 
Dallas closed his eyes and relaxed. Doug, I'm not hearing those seagulls, bro. I need more seagull. Doug squawked awkwardly and quickly followed it up with a wave crash. Leo's blows were short and strong, hardly a simulated breeze. They just made Dallas's bangs flop up every few seconds. Lydia's singing was growing more confident as she started to let go. Pretty soon, Dallas's veins were bulging. His arms and legs started to swell, his muscles multiplying by the second. Then he opened his eyes and stared down at the door. With a crack of his knuckles, he sprinted for it. He blurred past the tickle tasers, taking a few shocks but not enough to stop him. When he reached the door, he pulled on it with everything he had. The huge lumberjack arms trembled from the effort. Finally, the door was pried open and a wall of fog and flashing lights spilled out. Dallas stood to face it. Monstrous tentacles came thrashing out of the opening. In the middle of them, appearing through the fog, a huge gaping mouth full of razor-sharp teeth. Oh, bad idea, shouted Dallas, turning and running for it. The tickle taser zaps made him laugh in his retreat. <laughs> the cadets booked it back down the hall, through the cars, all the way to the end of the train to the common area. The creature's roars had long faded behind them, but they weren't about to stop and check to see if they'd lost it. Catching their breath, they collapsed onto the couches and tried to process what had just happened. Lydia was the first to speak. Why on earth would Goral be keeping such a thing? We're not on Earth, Dallas corrected. You know what I mean? Doug stared off. There has to be a good reason for it, right? Nobody responded. Suddenly the door slid open and they all jumped. It was only Goro. My, my, are we jumpy, he said. He paused and then looked them over suspiciously. Leo, what the blazes is that on your hand? Leo held up his pink-gooped fist that still had a plastic wall panel sticking to it. He shrugged. The cadets looked at each other as the tingles from the tickle tasers came flooding back. All at once, they burst into laughter. Hey, Rocketeers! I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Space Train. I am really enjoying the cadets and their crazy adventures. This episode, in a way, was sort of a little tribute to The Sandlot, a movie about a bunch of kids who hit a baseball over a fence and try to get it back, but can't because it's in a backyard guarded by a huge dog. Really funny movie, a classic, and one of my favorites growing up. I really wanted PF Flyer shoes after seeing that movie. Never got them, so basically my childhood was ruined. Just kidding. But seriously, it was. Did you catch that little lesson on Saturn and its rings? All about how it's a gas giant planet with rings made up of all that icy, rocky space debris? 
I still remember the first time I looked at Saturn through a telescope. If you've never done that, you need to ASAP. If you don't have a telescope or know someone with a telescope, a good pair of binoculars might work too. If you're in the northern hemisphere like myself, you can catch it in the summertime on a clear night. I'm no sailor or astronomer, so I just cheat and use the Google Sky app on my phone to locate it. I also wanted to mention a subtle theme from this episode. You probably noticed that some of the characters went along with getting into the caboose even when they didn't want to. You could say they gave into peer pressure, or in other words, did what their friends wanted them to do because they were too afraid to upset them or to look weak. I want you guys to know that you should never do something you feel you shouldn't do. Rocketeers are strong and confident, and if you ever see your friends doing something they shouldn't be doing, don't be afraid to tell them how you feel about it, that it's wrong, and just walk away. And if your friends keep trying to pressure you to do stuff you don't want to do, then maybe it's time to find new friends who respect your feelings and standards. It's not always easy, but I believe in you. You guys are awesome. Thank you all for supporting the podcast and for listening to this episode of Space Train. And make sure you tune in next week for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.